Hello everybody, welcome once again to the Long Distance Work Life, the podcast where we try to make sense of remote and hybrid work and people not being in the same place at the same time and helping people thrive through all of that. My name is Wayne Termel. Uh, my usual co-host, Marissa, is not here today. It's an interview show, and I'm very, very uh, happy and fortunate to be talking to Heather Hansen, uh, and we're going to be talking about accents and working across languages and all kinds of good stuff, and she knows of which she speaks because she is joining us from Singapore. Hi, Heather. Hi, Wayne. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, as always, thank you for being had. Um, <laughs> tell me, what does the Global Speech Academy do? We are a global communication training company working with multinationals, primarily headquartered here in Singapore in the region, uh, but working internationally. So we focus on everything from presentation skills to cross-cultural communication to articulation training and clear speech, anything that can help us be better communicators in global environments. Well, that sounds like worthy work and important stuff. Now, you are a little bit of a disturber um, mm -hmm. because <laughs> and I say that I see that with great affection as somebody who has been accused of disturbing more than my share of stuff. Um, you had a TEDx talk recently called How to Speak Bad English Perfectly, to mm -hmm. which you say, huh? Yeah, people don't like hearing that. They don't want to hear, well, why would you want to speak bad English? The, the whole point of that talk is the fact that there is no such thing as good or bad English. There's only communication that works. So either you get your message across successfully or you don't. And I, it just pains me that so many people come to me and say, oh, my English is so bad. My pronunciation is so bad. And we're having a full-on conversation in actually fully grammatical English. And I'm thinking, who has made you think that you don't speak well? What kind of perfectionism are you searching for and looking for? Because as far as I can tell, you speak just fine. Uh, but there's so much bias, so much negativity. Um, we use power, we use language as a power for maintaining privilege in the world. And so as, as native English speakers, it's very easy to maintain our privilege and power in the global economy by, by focusing on how bad people speak English. And well, this is all part of that, you know, you need to lighten your skin and not cover your mouth when you laugh and, and all of that yeah. cultural stuff, right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That, that goes with being an old cis-hat imperialist kind of guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. But one of the things that I, I know that you feel very passionate about is, besides all of those other things, this notion of having to eliminate accents and the idea of accent bias. Tell us what that looks mm. like, right, in the workplace, and mm. then why does that make you so crazy? Yeah, so... We'll never eliminate accents. So it's not so much that, it's more the bias against them, right? Because first of all, we have to understand every single person in the world has an accent. I mean, I grew up in central California believing I didn't have an accent. It was everyone else with an accent, right? And those of us who think that way have actually never experienced the bias that is there for people who sound different than the culturally accepted prestigious norm. So I hit the lottery, right? Being born into this variety of English that's globally recognized seen as 
educated and eloquent, and I've based a whole business off of it. And I've been very successful due to the fact that I speak a type of English that people recognize and, and believe is prestigious. And now it's not like that for everyone. When, when I went abroad, I first started learning about accent bias because I was living in German speaking societies and Danish speaking. I'm fluent in both languages. My German's very rusty now. My Danish, I'm married to a Dane, so we speak it daily. And living in Denmark, for example, speaking fluent Danish, I'd be stopped in the middle of business meetings like, oh, oh your accent's so cute. Oh, say more. Oh, I love hearing your accent. It's like, we're in a business meeting. Why aren't you listening to what I say and taking me seriously? You would never say that to me if we were speaking English right now, right? But that shows the privilege that I have because I could say, we can do this in English if you want, you know? And then they're like, oh, no, 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 it's okay, it's okay. Because that would give me my power back, my respect back. But what about the people who speak Mandarin or Tamil or Malay or Indonesian or languages that aren't global languages? They don't have that option. They're dealing with this every single day, day in and day out, trying to compete in a world that is dominated and run by English speakers. So that's what fuels all of my work. It's how can I help these people to better compete, to feel just as confident and to get the rest of the world to actually start listening to what they are saying and, and accepting them for who they are instead of constantly thinking about, oh, that's funny the way they said that. And oh, their English is so bad. And oh, why don't they speak better? And, oh, you've lived in America 40 years. Why do you still have an accent? All of these kinds of biases that come to the surface. And, and I know I'm not trying to steal your thunder, but one of the things that occurs to me is with the rise of asynchronous work, mm -hmm. you know, you encounter a little bit less of that because, you know, in cyberspace, no one, you, you don't type with an accent. Yes and no, right? Because... The type of English that's spoken globally, there are, there isn't just one global English. And that's one of the problems. Singapore English has its own rules, its own grammatical structures, its own vocabulary. Indian English has many different varieties. English spoken in the Philippines, slightly different. And some are more British English based, some are more American based, depending on who colonized them first. And so even in the writing, when you, when you write with someone from India, the terminology they use, maybe some of the different grammar markers that you find will be different. And so if you think of it that way, there is almost a written accent as well, where we're thinking, oh, why can they never put an S on the third person singular? He works, not he work. Like, oh, their English is so annoying. It comes up both in writing and in, and in speech. I mean, just look at the comment section of any social media site <laughs> and the way people will will break down the writing of what someone said, usually because they have no real argument. So they go to the language as the way to make themselves superior. So the grammar police, I'm talking to you. Uh, it's that is not necessary because if you understood the message, then communication happened. And that's the way we have to start approaching all of our communication, especially in the, in the working world. Well, and I love that you are not trying to educate the individual workers so much as the leaders and the organizations. It really does start from the top. It, it needs to, the leaders need to fully understand this in order to make it quite clear that, listen, we're accepting of everyone. Now, the problem in organizations is that we talk about everything in DEI from age to race to gender to sexuality, ableism, all of these things. 
but language is never discussed. And it's a foundation for all of them. When you hear someone on the phone, you're immediately categorizing. You're giving them the gender you believe they have, not how they identify. You are deciding what race they probably are. You are deciding their education levels, probably where in the world they're from. You have decided all this information and created a, a vision of that person without even seeing them, without knowing them. And, and this is not discussed in the workplace. It's not included in DEI policy. It's not protected by law unless you can link accent bias and discrimination to national origin. So that means, okay, if you're a, a foreign language speaker in America and someone is discriminating against you and saying, you know, oh, you can't speak English, go back where you're from. Well, that's an easy link to national origin and you have a court case. But what about the, the white American man from Alabama who is going up to work on Wall Street and is being made fun of because of his accent or isn't taken seriously? What kind of national origin um, clause can he fall back on? Uh, so this is not only a native, non-native foreign speaker. We experience this within the United States. And if I say, you know, the South, New York, New Jersey, Boston, California Valley Girl, Florida, we have immediate ideas of what these accents sound like and what the characteristics for those groups of people are, right? Yeah, and the human attached to them. Yeah. yeah. And so this is this is an issue for everyone. It isn't only a native non-native, although we see it happening even more when we're trying to deal with people from a different culture and background as well. Well, that obviously gets to the point of in an increasingly global world, right? This mm -hmm. notion that, you know, you can't really you can't get the benefits of globalism without dealing with other humans from other places. It kind of goes with the territory. And you said something, and I'm dying to get into what the heck you mean by this, because <laughs> as somebody who has spent 30 years teaching communication skills, your big battle cry is that communication is not a skills problem. And what? <laughs> <laughs> well, that statement comes from my frustration as, you know, a corporate trainer, uh, where every October I get phone calls from HR saying, we really want to commit to changing the communication culture in the company. Can you come and do a two day program on presentation skills? And it's like, that's not going to cut it. That's not going to change anything. That's not going to move the needle even a, a little bit. Uh, this is not simply a skills problem. It, it's much more than that. It has to do with the entire culture of the work environment. Are people conscious communicators? Do we have cultural intelligence, cross-cultural skills? Are we good listeners? Are we aware of our environment? And when we have the loud voices and we're dominating and when we aren't letting people in, when we're interrupting, um, do we have connection in the company? So is there psychological safety? Are we building strong relationships? What do the social networks look like inside the company itself? And, you know, do people have a fear of failure? They're not speaking up because they're always ridiculed or they're put back down. So they press mute and they they don't want to contribute. Um, and then the last piece of the puzzle is the confidence piece. And that's both skills, confidence and self-confidence, self-worth. So it's only that very little sliver of the skills, confidence. If you truly don't know how to communicate, you truly have such a heavy accent, no one on earth can understand you, then we do need to work on some skills. But that is a very small part of the puzzle. I could teach you everything I know about a great presentation, being a good presenter. But if you're in a toxic environment with a boss who doesn't listen, 
you could give the best presentation in the world and it's not going to do anything for you. So, so the skills is just one teeny little piece of the puzzle. And we like to focus all of our attention there and place all of the responsibility on the individual to say, you're not a good enough communicator when really so much more is based on how those messages are being received. I'm going to take us off topic for a moment because I'm fascinated by this. Having taught presentation skills in your corner of the world, does the expectation of what makes a good presentation from the leadership standpoint, how much work is it to take somebody from a, let's call Southeast, Southeast Asian culture and, and have them present to the white guy from New York? You know, how traumatic and dramatic is that? This is the entire problem because, and this is why I run a successful business and the whole hypocrisy of my career is that why should that individual from Southeast Asia have to change the way they communicate, their style of communication, their their personality even to fit the expectations of the white Westerner sitting in New York? Will that white Westerner ever even consider ever in a million years changing the way they speak, adapting their style, um, being more adaptable in general to cultural difference when they come to Southeast Asia. And this is exactly the problem in the world right now is that this Western ideal, the way leadership ideas, communication, you name it, business strategy is very Western dominated. And we don't value the, the different styles that are coming from the East. So my whole job is trying to help these people to fit into this global expectation that is a very Western, Western world and completely move them away from who they are, how they normally communicate, uh, how they articulate sounds to fit that picture, because that is the goal. And it still is, especially in these countries that are old colonies that have, that have just grown up with this feeling of somehow being inferior. And Singapore itself has a government campaign called Speak Good English implying that Singapore English is not good. And it is a native variety. They grow up from, they grow up speaking it. They're fully educated in English. They work fully in English. The government is run in English. Uh, and I don't think people outside Singapore really understand that, but English is their language, but it sounds very different. And their okay. culture is very different. So I'm giving you 10 minutes in a room with the average white Anglo, American Canadian project manager or division manager. You have five minutes and we have duct taped him or her to a chair. So you will not be interrupted. Captive audience. Oh, so the mouth is duct taped. That's the most oh, yeah. important. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. I'm giving you every advantage for the next five minutes. What do you tell this person? <laughs> oh, it's about shifting our entire view of the world, of us not being in the dominant position. First of all, understanding that we do not own the English language. We speak one variety of it. We also have an accent that is different from everywhere else in the world. We have to completely change that mindset that we're walking into global conversations in the powerful position and look at people as our peers and listen for understanding. So the focus has now shifted uh, that when we go into a global environment, we are also speaking a foreign language. The way that English is used, the way that we communicate in global settings is not the same as how we communicate with each other over coffee at home. 
we must learn how to adapt, how to change our speech, to drop idioms, to stop, try to remove as many phrasal verbs as possible, which is incredibly challenging. I, uh, it's hard for me to do. Phrasal verbs okay. help me. Uh, a verb plus a preposition that has a completely different meaning. So for example, pass out versus pass on versus pass over. One woman was uh, an immigrant, and I believe this was in the UK, the story I heard, called from the school. The school says, your son has passed out on the playground. You need to come pick him up. She didn't know what passed out was, but she knew passed on. And so she was distraught. She thought she was picking up her dead child at school. So this is how easily misunderstandings can happen. And we don't think of this as a native speaker born and raised in America. You know, we rule the world. We're so amazing. And 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 to a degree, that's very true globally. We we have a huge reputation. We do have a lot of power in the world, but we can't abuse it. And we need to remember that there are people all over the world just as well educated as us who have grown up speaking English, who sound different, but um, are just as educated, have just as many good ideas. And if we don't start closing our mouths and listening to them, we're losing so much potential. We're losing our talent. We, we aren't taking advantage of the skills that are right in front of us. And because we have this chip on our shoulder that we think that, no, well, you sound different and you must not be as good. And this comes from all the way back to the movies we watch as children, Disney movies. The bad guys all have accents. Um, people are other. We, we try to create that distance and we make an make a enemy out of them. You know, this is so important and we could keep going forever. It, it occurs to me that Kevin and I have said for low these many years that managers of whatever ilk, wherever they are, uh, often forget that there is an inherent power difference. Yes. Even on your team, between you and your direct reports, you can be as benevolent and kind of think you're being open and understanding. And that exists anyway. When you add the complications of working overseas, accents, uh, not really listening to understand, it only becomes that much more complicated. And in a perfect world, the responsibility falls on us as the leaders. So, Heather, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Uh, we are going to, he says, pushing the right button. We are going to have links to Heather and Global Speech Academy and all that good stuff uh, in the transcript of the show on longdistanceworklife.com. Heather, I'm going to remove you from the room just long enough to finish wrapping up here. Uh, but thank you so much for being with us. It's been a fascinating conversation. Yeah, thank you. Really fun to be here. Thanks so much. And uh, if you did, in fact, like the show and with this one, there wasn't much not to like. I, th I found this fascinating. Uh, please like, subscribe, your podcast listeners, or you're seeing this on YouTube. You know how this works by now. Um, I was delighted to come across this topic. And if you have a topic that you would like us to talk about or interview somebody about, uh, or you just have a pet peeve that you want Marissa and I to riff about while we're at it, Contact us on LinkedIn, Wayne Trammell, Marissa Eikenberry, or Wayne at KevinEikenberry.com, or Marissa at KevinEikenberry.com. And of course, if you are putting together a team, uh, please contact us at the Kevin Eikenberry Group, or you can pick up Kevin and my new book, The Long Distance Team, Designing Your Team for Everyone's Success. That is it. Thank you for joining us on The Long Distance Work Life. 
Don't let the weasels keep get you down. We will see you next episode.